the Travel Squad podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego, and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. Kim. And I'm Dana. And And we're we're the the Travel Travel Squad podcast. So grab your tickets. Your passport. And don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 44, International Food of the Travel Squad podcast. I hope you're hungry. I hope you have your stretchy sweatpants on because we are about to take you on a food tour of Middle Eastern cuisine. Stretchy sweatpants as if it's Thanksgiving. Am I right, ladies? Absolutely. Or a dress. That works too. That's very true. So we wanted to bring you guys several episodes talking about one of the best aspects of traveling, trying the local eats and food. And we recently traveled to the Middle East, went to Dubai, went to Lebanon, and got inspired to share with you all about the delicious foods and how food plays a major aspect in different cultures and traditions around the world. And in this episode, again, highlighting Middle Eastern food. Jamal and I have been together for 13 years now, and I have loved Middle Eastern food for all 13 years because Jamal and his dad both do some amazing Middle Eastern cooking. And Middle Eastern food is some of my favorite food. I love the falafel, the kibbe, the hummus, the fatouche, the shawarma. Mm. The kibbe nei. No. (laughs) (laughs) Shawarma, garlic sauce. And I just can't wait to get into this episode to talk about it all. This episode is definitely going to make me hungry. I'm already hungry. And I think one of the best ways to experience food in another culture is to do it with a local, which is why when we were in Lebanon, we were so lucky to go around with Jamal and Zaina's family, who took us to all the best spots, showed us all the best stuff. Meza is one of my new favorite things. I think America really needs to adopt that and... There is just so much good food that I had never heard of before. Yeah, and the mesa that you're talking about, you could almost equate it to the Middle Eastern version of tapas. So just imagine a whole bunch of apps out that's for everybody to have and try. And that's one of the big things about the Middle Eastern food too, is it is to be shared. So the Middle Eastern people are very proud of their food. And, um, you know, I see this in my family all the time because growing up, my dad would cook all the time and then ask everyone, what did you think? What did you think? Is it good? (laughs) And if it's less than 10 on a scale of one to 10, he'd be very, very offended. (laughs) And uh, Jamal has picked up that very trait as we just earlier today on this recording day had um, ramen. And I can't tell you how many times Jamal asked us to rate it on a scale of one to 10. Yeah, and I got less than a 10 from Kim on that one, and I didn't bat an eye. The noodles were not in your control. The noodles weren't in my control for the ramen. But nonetheless, very correct, Zaina. Middle Easterners are proud of their food. So proud when people say they like Greek food, I think to myself, what, you like Middle Eastern food? Because that's exactly what it is. You know, we're all from the same place. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So let's talk about how eating in the Middle East is a little bit different than eating in the U.S., Well, I touched upon this earlier, and eating in the Mideast is almost like when you're eating in China or other places in Asia. It's very communal. Now, there is no Lazy Susan for it to go around, but like Kim said earlier, she discovered and loved Meza. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of community eating. Yes, there are instances where you have your own dish, but for the most part, there's going to be a lot of apps out on the table, your hummus, your baba ganoush, some falafel, pita bread, etc. Yeah. Kibbeney. <laughs> you keep getting on that. We'll get to that later, Zana. Save the good story for You later. know what I learned is Middle Eastern food is never ending. It's mm. like course after course after course, and the food does not stop coming to you at all. And you could be full and you can insist that you are full and there's nothing else you want and then another round will be ordered for the table. <laughs> if you even if you even twitch your eye just a bit to insinuate you wanted more, 
Bam. Bam. More shows up. Bam. <laughs> so growing up, my parents used to host parties all the time. And of course, my dad cooked. And it's like, as soon as someone said that they were full, my dad says, oh, you're full? No, 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 no. You want more. You want more. <laughs> and without even waiting or asking, you just like put more on their plate. And even like this last time when we were in Lebanon, it was so funny because we went out to dinner at a restaurant. We were stuffed. And then my cousin's fiance was like, oh, you want more? And then she just like started to order more. And everyone was like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. But like they brought out pretty much another meal. And you know, for us being there, Zana, at least you and I, like we know for sure that that's the culture. It's to be expected. But even though it's expected, sometimes you genuinely can't have any more. But it's rude to say no. They're purchasing it. You know, if you're out at a restaurant or if you're in someone's home and you don't take what's offered to you, it's seen as slightly offensive and insulting. So you always at least need to take it and at least take a bite. So point being, if you go to the Middle East, you're going to be eating a lot of food. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at an aunt's house and I was so stuffed. I couldn't eat anymore. And the question was, well, do you not like my food? Is it not good? Is it not good? And I'm like, no, I'm full. (laughs) It's so good. I ate too much. (laughs) I can't eat anymore. So how do you say cheers or like bon appetit? What's the equivalent in Arabic? Arabic. I guess like the closest thing would be sahtain, which literally means two healths. When that's to one person, but it, when it's in the group, it's zahatkon. Zahatkon. Correct. There I know. Kim is like our little cheers. Kim <laughs> tried really hard to pick up a lot of Arabic on that trip, and I was super Azim. proud of her. And she did. She did. Look at her. She remembered that. <laughs> yes, yes. Another thing about Middle Eastern culture when it comes to the food is not necessarily the food itself, but a lot of the culture and mannerisms about when you go out to eat with people and then the bill comes. Let's not kid ourselves. Nobody ever really wants to pay the bill, but there is always the fight for the bill. And so it's a little song and dance of, (laughs) oh, no, I invited you out. Let me have it. And then the guest is like, no, are you crazy? I'm going to have it. And then there's a back and forth five minutes of yelling, shouting. Maybe (laughs) if you want, you can throw your hat in the ring and say it yourself. But in the end of the day, you at least have to put up the fight and somebody will get it. But that is to be expected. Sometimes you slide your credit card to the maitre d' when you walk in. So you don't even have to partake in the fight and you just beat everyone to it. Even Outside of the Middle East, when I eat here with Middle Easterners who are friends and clients, I sometimes have to do that when we arrive, slip the credit card, because even here, the fight's going to happen. And even when you do that, there will still be a fight, because they'll say, what? You gave your credit card already? Like, how dare you? This is insulting to me. (laughs) Or like, wow, which is like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, there's that. And then I remember years ago when I used to live in Lebanon, one of my cousins taught me that, you know, when someone does say sahte, and like I said, like the cheers, which literally means two healths. Another thing that people say too is farahtik, which literally means your happiness. And the meaning Mm -hmm. of that is that this food is so amazing. We're all so happy. May we have this beautiful feast at your wedding someday, right? Like, isn't that so nice? That's a lot of meaning in one word. Yeah, it really is, right? So I remember it was our, our cousin Haisim who said that, you know, like, farahdik, this is what it means. Like, may we have this beautiful feast at your wedding. And I looked at him and I was like, well, what if someone tells you farahdik, but you don't want them at your wedding? Oh. <laughs> he looked at me confused and I was like, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a very good question, though. <laughs> <laughs> be like, bitch, I don't want you at my wedding. <laughs> Not you, Heisen. We do. But yes, 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 yes. <laughs> other people. You know, one thing that was really interesting to me is that when you go somewhere, whether it be a restaurant or someone's home, there's already like food and vegetables already on the table. And it's like tomatoes and cucumbers and bell peppers and olives. And they're kind of like sitting on a cutting board all together. And as you have the meal, you just start to cut what you need. And I think that was very unique because those things aren't Mm -hmm. like prepared in advance cut for you. You just kind of like, oh, you're having this bread and this cheese. And then you just go to the cucumber and cut your slice and there it is. And they don't have that, I don't think, in like any of the other cultures we've experienced so far. Even sometimes, though, when you get takeout or at the table at a restaurant, those things may already be cut up, but they're always there as like table snacks. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing I could kind of think to that is, say, for example, you go to a Mexican restaurant and then there's just chips and salsa on the table Mm -hmm. or, again, Mexican restaurant, whether it be taking food out or eating there, and then there's the pickled carrots and jalapenos. Granted, those are 
items that are prepared and things like that. But those are just, again, the common accompaniments, if I said that correctly, <laughs> common food items that are going to be on the table for you. And it's pretty much a standard. Yeah. Like in Lebanon, you always have a saucer, like a bowl saucer that has olives in the juice. Just sitting there. Love me some olives. I love the Lebanese olives. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's so good. And the um, pickles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they pickle their pickles differently and they're delicious. And it's the type of cucumber that they use, I think. The Lebanese yes. know pickles. They yeah. know pickles <laughs> and they know sausage. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the main food items, you know, what you'll find at breakfast, lunch, dinner, etc. Obviously, we know a lot of Middle Eastern food, but some of the common spices and staples include like sumac, cardamom, za'atar, cumin. So a lot of those, maybe people here in the States would say exotic flavors and seasonings. Those are what you would be accustomed to in the Middle East. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, well, za'atar is really um, thyme. And and sesame seeds. Yeah. And it's just, it's delicious and it's mixed with olive oil because like it needs to be like this wet consistency. It's, it's just dynamite. Now that we've talked spices and staples, let's go through an entire menu for the day, starting with breakfast. My favorite meal of the day in Lebanon. If there's one thing Middle Easterns do good, it's breakfast. I love the simplicity of it, and it's just so packed with flavor. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not looking at cereal or anything like that (laughs) or waffles. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're looking at manaish. Fetti, mm. knefi, fool. <laughs> so let's go ahead and break it Better down. than a breakfast buffet. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, what did you think of the manaish or manushi when you were there, Kim? Tell us about the whole experience, buying it from vendors on the streets, what it is, and how delicious it is. It's so unsuspecting, right? It's so simple, totally. but it's so bomb. Okay, it's... when I lived in Lebanon, I lived off of manaish. <laughs> go for it, Kim. I mean, they're pretty cheap. It was maybe $1.50 when we bought it off the street vendor. So what it is, is this amazing, like dough of a flatbread kind of thing but very very flat more than a flatbread if that makes any sense but also middle eastern and then there's different kinds you can get so you can get some with melted cheese that za'atar seasoning you can get lamb and then you get vegetables in it the staples so it's like the tomatoes and cucumber and mint and pickles and that kind of stuff and so good they'll make them where it's just a flat bread folded in half or rolled up into like a little burrito But what makes it so good is how they prep it. I mean, they literally Mm. cook it in brick ovens. They put it in like you see people putting in pizza with the like wooden stick. I don't even know the name of the term for that cooking device, but you know what I'm talking (laughs) about when they put it in the oven, pull it out. They use that. They're cooked in brick ovens, natural wood fire heat. So, so delicious. Yes. I, you know, okay. So when I used to live there, the cheese manushi, it's the akewe cheese, which is just like a white cheese. And um, it used to cost a dollar. So super, super cheap. So you can really live off of that stuff. And that's how my money went so far is because that was a dollar and the zathar was 70, or no, excuse me, it was 50 cents. And then getting all of the vegetables on there, it's dynamite. Um, the other thing that I really like too is they make the manushi with the suju, which is the Armenian. Armenian sausage. Ooh, I love Armenian sausage. You know, me too. I mean, like, you know, Armenians do sausage, right? <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you ladies are sausage fans. I prefer You're talking about Armenian. the Italian beef in Chicago. Here you are, Kim, saying you prefer the Italian sausage. <laughs> Not- I prefer the Armenian sausage over yeah. the Lebanese sausage. I agree with you, and I say that as a Lebanese person. But I love all sausages. Yes, you do. I 100% <laughs> agree with you. The sajut, the Armenian sausage, is like the best sausage in the world. And not to make this sexual, you guys, but if we <laughs> You put white mayo on that sausage. Ew. Oh my God. <laughs> Mayonnaise and sushi. People on their mayo. You're just delicious. dipping some sausages and some white mayo. So they cut up the sushi and they put it on the bread and then they stick it in the brick oven. So like everything gets heated and cooked and everything. Then they put all the vegetables on there and then they have, you know, like, like you have a mustard bottle, right? You squeeze out the mustard, but no mustard on that. That's disgusting. But instead they have like a mayonnaise bottle and they squeeze the mayonnaise out and just wow. like, Mm, 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 mm. Oh. oh my god it's so good well i'm gonna move along and get you ladies off your sausage <laughs> right now 
<laughs> and I'm going to bring up another fan favorite in the Middle East for breakfast. And this was a new one for Kim and Brittany. Zana, you and I have had dad cook it before many a times. It's not on his main repertoire, but going to Lebanon, it really resonated with me again. I'm like, man, why do we not eat this enough? And I've started making it since I've come home. And why don't you tell us what that is, ladies? It's a feti. And I had never had feti before. Mm -hmm. We went out to a restaurant and I had it for the first time and it was so good. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it is warmed chickpeas that is topped with yogurt and a garlic sauce and then usually topped with pine nuts and toasted pita chips. And when it goes down, it just melts in your mouth. It's so warm. It's so comforting. And it is so flavorful and delicious. And Jamal has recently been adding like dried mint on top. And that just gives it a perfect flavor. You know, the feti we had in Lebanon didn't have it. I'm going to say that is a marouche thing. My dad told me when I was making it, he's like, no, 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 you have to put the mint in it. But it's very unsuspecting. I mean, you hear the description, chickpeas, fried pita bread, yogurt, pine nuts, garlic sauce, garlic sauce or garlic flavoring in it. Mm. Uh, it doesn't sound like it would be the most bomb thing in the world, but believe me when it's like prep right, the way that it's layered, it is such a comfort food and amazing, amazing breakfast. We all went out to that one breakfast spot and everyone was floored with how delicious it was. Yes, I remember that morning too because Haisam took us to the restaurant and that restaurant is like popular for the feti, like the best feti in all of Lebanon. And I had... Um, strep throat. Strep throat, yes. I had strep throat that morning for whatever reason. And when that hot feti went down and coated the back of my throat, it was crazy good. Just like that mayo cuts the back of your throat. Oh my God. It just like washes down, you guys. You were a new woman after that bowl. (laughs) (laughs) I really was. It just made me feel so good. And, you know, Jamal is sitting here saying that, you know, like it's not um, one thing that my dad cooked a lot, but you've really inspired him because, you know, last time I was, you know, at your place and you made the feti for us. Dad called and he wanted to know how good was it on a scale of one to 10. Yes. (laughs) On a scale of one to 10. How was it? And I was telling him that it was like some of the best fetti I've ever had. And I think that you've really inspired him to go back and retry his fetti, you know? Well, he's been making a lot of it, but you know, he makes it for us, but not often because that's the next thing that we're going to talk about is he makes fool more often, Mm -hmm. which again is a fava bean and chickpea dish. And it's cooked down, it's warm, it has olive oil, parsley. You use like a sweet onion almost like as a chip to eat it with. It has garlic, lemon, and it's basically their version of a porridge. And he usually makes that more. And so we're so more used to that. But yes, he is inspired on the feti because he can't stand the younger Marouche rivaling him on the food game. Because that's how, again, (laughs) Middle Eastern people take their food seriously. Yeah, you're right. I do remember eating more fool than feti growing up. But the thing about feti is it's very, very heavy. Mm -hmm. And so it'll fill you up a lot faster. And the fool is fava beans and and chickpeas. So yes, it's going to fill you up, but it's not that heavy feeling the way that feti makes you feel. Yeah. And I think the cool thing about breakfast in Lebanon is that it's It's so different from American breakfast where we're like grabbing a smoothie on the way out the door or just eating a bowl of cereal or something by ourselves. Breakfast is really like sit down experience where, yeah, you're cutting up the veggies and you're actually sitting with people. And I don't know if that's because we were on vacation there or if that's actually how it is, but it felt more communal. I remember when I was living there, I would sometimes go to my girlfriend Isel's house. Isel went with us to Cuba and she had this beautiful balcony and we would go out and sit on the balcony and we would have cut up cucumbers, dipped it in labneh, which is like strained yogurt. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's dynamite, right? And you put a whole bunch of uh, olive oil in the labneh. So you're dipping the cucumbers, tomatoes, you have the olives again, you know, the the olives there, the mint, and then you just have bread, you put it in the bread all together, make a sandwich from it, you have scrambled eggs, like it's just such a beautiful experience in comparison to like rushing out the door here in the good way to start the morning. Yeah. And a lot of the ingredients are like really fresh too. like we're here in America, we're, we're pouring bowls of cereal or, you know, just grabbing a smoothie to go and we're kind of like in a rush. It was really nice to sit down and enjoy a meal. Mm -hmm. And another one too is one of Jamal's favorites. 
No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if it is. It is, is one of my favorites. If you're going to say kanafi, go for it. Well, <laughs> I don't want to call it anything like a donut, but I'm going to say it's like their version of a sweet breakfast if we were to have a donut here. But it's not something that you could eat in your hands on the go. Basically, it's a melted cheese that has some sort of like shredded or cracked wheat or grain that's on top, but it's made sweet by putting like honey and homemade syrup on it. And by homemade syrup, I'm just talking simple syrup, water, sugar, melting. And yes, and they add the little bit of rose water in it. And sometimes you can sprinkle a little pistachios on it. So that is more a sweet breakfast. It tends to also be a dessert after a meal. But if we're going to compare it to versions of things you could get here in the United States or other stuff, that's going to be their sweet one like a donut. But again, or not maybe like a French toast. Yeah. Not even because it's more because it's warm too. So I guess that is a better comparison. Yeah, what a better comparison than I had. (laughs) I'm just thinking donuts because I love donuts. I love donuts too, and that's a really really good one as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're already thinking to yourself, "Oh my goodness, my butt button." (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. Okay, stomach in Arabic is button, and so I always say like buttony, like. My stomach wants to explode. And so I was going to say, if your button feels like it's going to explode. So I wasn't going for butt. <laughs> I was going for stomach and I mixed up my languages. <laughs> I was going to say that getting your languages mixed up, honestly. Like... <laughs> Truly, that's what it was. If you're thinking that your stomach is ready to explode because you're so hungry, great. You're in the right place because we're going to bring out more food. Now we're going to bring out <laughs> the snacks, the mesa. Just when you think you could move again from not being stuffed, it's time for your next meal. That's how it felt every time we went out in Lebanon was we just got done with breakfast. Now it's lunchtime and we just finished lunch and lunch is never ending. And oh, what are we having for dinner? And food kept coming. But I loved the Mesa in Lebanon. There is just so many good snack foods that they bring out for you. I love that it's communal so you can get, you know, a little bit of everything. I love that. Little bite, little taste of every single thing. Yeah. And like you, when you're in a new country, you have to try every single new thing, right? So some of the things that they have on the table are like hummus or the grape leaves or baba ganoush, which is kind of like grilled eggplant. Think of hummus, but like grilled eggplant instead. Yeah, instead of the chickpeas, it's eggplant grilled and like fire roasted. So it gets that really smoky flavor, but it does have the tahini like hummus does on top of it. I did not like baba ghanoush when I was growing up. And now I think, oh my God, because it's it's kind of an acquired taste for me. Now I think it's the best thing ever. And I just have so much regret that I missed out on all of my dad's baba ghanoush when I was a kid. (laughs) Good thing for me, I loved both. Still do. (laughs) Some other things that they have are like falafel balls or the sausages that Kim and Zena are (laughs) loving so much. They have the Lebanese sausages or the Armenian sausages. And, you know, there's a good mix too of like plant-based items and then meat-based items depending on mm-hmm. what you're into and so I feel like it's a place where you can eat according to pretty much anyone's diet. Yeah and speaking of the plant-based versus the meat one of the things that you'll also find as the mesa because yes you can get like a quick grab-and-go street food or restaurant and actually have your own individual meal but a lot of times you know for lunch it will be the mesa and the mesa does continue to be on the table at dinner before a main <laughs> entree too so it's again never Never ending. But one of the greens and fresh items that you could get versus meat is henbi, which I really, really like. It's basically dandelion greens with lemon juice. So it's almost like a little green salad of sorts, but not really. And what makes it really good is they have the good contrast with the lemon to some crispy fried like caramelized onions on top. So you have that soft coolness of the greens and then you have that crunch of the crispy caramelized onions. It's definitely really good. You can eat it alone, but a lot of people will scoop it with the pita and almost make it like a little chip dip type sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we also have all of our favorites kibbe and kibbe nei. Okay, so I keep joking around about kibbe nei, okay? (laughs) So kibbe is like a meatball, I guess you can say. It's just... Well, there's two ways to make it. It is beef or lamb based depending on what type of meat you use. So it's either going to be beef or lamb. And it does have pine nuts in it, but what makes it kibbe is it also does have some sort of like wheat product in it or grain. So you can bake it in the oven 
or you can deep fry it like in a bowl. It's coated, yes? Yeah. It's not really coated. It's the bread and the grain that they put in it that gives it that texture. So it's oh. not really like a bread, but that's why I said it, it mixes the okay. meat with the starch. And so you can get it two ways that way. Most common in the Mideast to, to go is going to be the fried way, but you know, you cook it so at home, good. it's going to be in the oven. And so tell us about the kidby nays, Anna, because you keep saying it. So I just want to give everyone <laughs> what the kidby is. So that's Kibbe, right? So kibbe nei is raw. Nei in Arabic is raw. So it's just the raw meat. And I remember we were at a restaurant in southern Lebanon, and I see them bringing out something to the table. If we didn't order, you know, they order for you, and they bring it out, and I see them put it down, and I'm like, oh, that's kibbe nei, thinking to myself. And then I see Kim reaching for <laughs> it like the champ she is to try the new food, doesn't even ask questions. She's just like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. And I'm like, oh my God, she's going to eat the raw kidby. And she put it in her mouth and she was like, mm-hmm. It's so, like the sausage. She couldn't contain her excitement. She saw the Anytime it. meat gets around me, I just have to eat it. Put it in your mouth. Put it in your mouth. No, so I felt confident eating. It was beef. I felt confident eating it because I actually went on a date once and the guy ordered steak tartare. <laughs> or beef tartare, yeah. Yeah, beef tartare. And I was like, are you seriously going to eat raw beef at the table right now? <laughs> and yeah, so that's when I learned that you can eat raw beef. And so I felt confident eating it there. I like kid B more than kid B nay. No, that's why I say you were a champ, man. You didn't even ask questions. You just, you went for it. You did it. You tried it, you know? So I, I mean, I've had beef tartare. If it's made correct, it's safe for you to eat and it's decent but i love the kidby seasoning the way it comes out when it's cooked but even as a middle eastern person myself i'm not a kidby nay person 10 out of 10 would not eat again <laughs> <laughs> the nay though yeah oh i'll eat kidby all day <laughs> hey squaddies we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you liquid iv is a category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling one stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack. We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet-lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon-lime and tangerine with immune support. It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy-free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Travel Squad Podcast at liquidiv.com. Hey, squaddies, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian Island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download, book, show up and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. And there are so much other things that are offered at Meza too. Like Zaina talked about the Lebni, which is like the strained yogurt that you can dip all of the vegetables in. And there's cheese rolls, which are kind of like the American version of mozzarella sticks, but they're a little bit Almost different. Like egg roll cheese rolls, but they were good. They're good. Yeah. And then of course the olives are at Meza, garlic sauce, pita bread. Pita bread is a staple. And putting the garlic sauce on the pita bread. Mm -hmm. 
I can do that all day, every day. If you're a vampire, you're not going to like Middle Eastern food. I think they <laughs> uh, love their garlic sauce. Yeah. yeah, we do. Also, you know what? Going back to Lebni real quick, because we were talking about it being strained yogurt. It's much thicker than yogurt, though. So it's not like just like the creamy yogurt substance. It has a thick texture like sour cream almost. Yes, yes. But not the same flavor, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then one of my favorite things is the grilled halloumi cheese. Oh, so good. Super dynamite. And we also do chicken liver quite a bit. It's very common. A, a lot of places in the Middle East and a lot of other countries, I feel like here in the States or more westernized countries, if you will, they don't really use a lot of the gizzard meat or other meat other than the normal stuff. So yeah, chicken livers definitely will be on there. They'll be fried up, cooked, sauteed, and they'll be on the table too. And depending on your preference, they could be delicious. I mean, I love myself some uh, foie gras, which is duck liver. So why not eat another bird's liver and eat that chicken liver huh right and then they also have fried eggplant which is just like heaven on earth especially when you put it with the garlic sauce (laughs) and pita bread let's get to a little bit more greens though because kim fell in love with a specific type of salad while we were Mm. out there real quickly before we move on one more thing the batatas which are the french fries i don't know i don't know what it is about middle eastern french fries they're 10 times better than you will ever find over here. I don't know if it's because they're fried fresh and they cut it themselves over there and they put some sort of special seasoning on it too. I don't even know what it is. It's not any of the ones that we listed earlier. It's not the cardamom. It's not the cumin. I don't know what it is, but it is bomb. For all the food that we just listed, you'll always find batatas with it. Yes. <laughs> Which isn't something that you find here. And batatas is potatoes. Arabic for potatoes. Yes. yes. Okay. Now that we've touched base on that, let's move to the greens. Fatouche. What is fatouche? Fatouche is the best salad I've ever had in my life. And it's so simple. It's greens, straight up greens. It's radishes. Bam. Mince. Bam. Parsley. Bam. (laughs) Cucumbers, lemon juice, olive oil, garlic. Bam, bam, bam. (laughs) Sumac. And the best part about it are the crispy pita bread pieces that they put on it that's what really makes the fatouche is the fried pita and then the dressing itself is just simple it's olive oil lemon juice and that sumac seasoning that we were talking about earlier but what gives the salad its freshness is that parsley and mint if your flavor allows you can even slice up some scallions or green onions and put it in there give it a little extra herby zing obviously you're going to have your normal lettuce but it's those fresh things like the parsley and mint that really give it that shining aspect that make it just so fresh and so delicious. But one thing that is a common salad out there as well is tabbouleh. And most people I feel like who know Middle Eastern food know tabbouleh, and it is also a parsley salad. I will say this though, eating tabbouleh in the Middle East is not one of my favorite things to do. And I'll tell you why, because (laughs) I don't think they make it anywhere as good as my dad makes it. Because a lot of people will make tabbouleh dry and you know if you just took like imagine eating a biteful straight of parsley mm-hmm. it's kind of a little dry right people don't put enough oil and the lemon juice or a lot of tomatoes in it to get it kind of liquidy and so they tend to make it dry but when it's made a little bit more wet and moist i love wet and moist it's got to be wet and moist got to be wet and moist <laughs> <laughs> that's when the tabbouleh really, really shines. The women with their sausages and the men with their wet and moist. Apparently, Middle Eastern food is very sexual. It's an aphrodisiac, <laughs> don't you know? There you go. And I will say, your dad's tabbouleh is the best tabbouleh I've had to date. Hand, yes. Hands down. You know, I, I remember a story one time when we were in Lebanon. I love my aunt's cooking. She's like one of the best cooks, maybe second best to my dad in terms of home cooks. And she made tabbouleh one time and she asked me, she's like, oh, whose is better? Mine or your dad's? And (laughs) And Jamal's like 10. Yeah, yeah, I was 10 at this time. And I didn't want to lie to her. So I told her, oh, yours is really good. But I like my dad's more because she doesn't make hers as wet. It's a little bit more dry. And she had the most disappointed look on her face. I felt really bad. And then when we got back to our apartment over there, my dad told me, he said, I don't advocate lying, but you should have lied to her and said hers was better. And then told me later, you think mine is better. (laughs) (laughs) Very competitive. I'll never forget that. I think you made it up on our last trip. This is the same aunt who made us dinner, right? Uh, Or the meal before we went to the airport. Yes, 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 yes. Lunch, I guess. What was it that you wanted her to make? 
I wanted her to make her famous escalope. Oh, I love it. it. You could imagine it like a version of a breaded cutlet or mm-hmm. country fried steak, but Middle Schnitzel. Eastern style. Oh yeah. my God, it was so good. And the joy, we told her escalope only and batatas. And she was so excited to make this food. And then she went overboard and did fatouche and tabbouleh. And, and cauliflower. And too. And kidby. Oh, her fried cauliflower yeah. was bomb. Oh, that was so good. And she, she just brought her so much joy to do that. I remember we were sitting at her house, and this is like the day before we were leaving, and Jamal got so shy, and he's like, Taunt Jamal, can you make your uh, escalope? And she, yeah, she just like fucking <laughs> she lit like, up. Yeah, and then Jamal's like, and he like gets a little bit more quieter, and he's like, and... And my dad will even say this, and he doesn't like to admit anybody's food is better than his. He knows his batata game is no match for my aunt's. Hers are like legendary. Uh, She has a secret to it. I know that secret, but I can't give it out. I won't even. I won't even deny it. And not even for a five star review. Jamal secret. And and we haven't even gotten to it yet. I'm sure we will when we get to desserts about the baklava. But I can't even give out my father's or the Marouche family baklava recipe because it is so secret because it is so sought after. So I can't give you that patata secret. Well, I haven't tried it yet. Well, you haven't tried my dad's baklava? No, I've just heard about it. Brittany swears by it. I do swear by it. But the escalope, I'm glad you guys brought that up because that really segues into our next portion where we're talking about meals. And one of my favorite like main dishes or entrees is shawarma. I love shawarma. And shawarma is basically like meat that is thinly cut and stacked on like a spigot and the spigot rotates around some heat and that cooks the meat and then they shave it off into like a pita and make like a pita sandwich and it could be chicken it could be lamb it could be beef and it is just so delicious and shout out to our cousin Walid because he took us to one place where they did the shawarma with sajout <laughs> That Armenian sausage. And I've never had shawarma with suju, but it was in like the Armenian district there in Beirut. And it was killer. You know, what was so funny was every time we went somewhere in Lebanon, they always say, oh, this is a special place. This is a special place that we're getting. And Zena looks at me. We're in the back of the car. She looks at me and she's like, everything's fucking special. I don't remember. <laughs> she's like, and then we go there and we try the shazoo. How, what do we, how do I pronounce it? Shizu. Oh, Saju, Saju, Saju shawarma, and she's like, "Oh, this is special." <laughs> it's funny because Walid took us there after we'd gotten back from. Where were we? I forgot. I mean, he took us uh, all around. Where Biblos. were we? Biblos. Biblos. <laughs> ah, right. I was on the way back from Biblos. And, and then we went and met up with Hysam later. And he, we told him we went there. And he's like, I wanted to take you there. <laughs> well, then he took us on the falafel tour. Ooh. But it's really good. The shawarma is a Middle Eastern staple. You can find it in restaurants. You can find them from street vendors. It's so popular that when you eat your Greek gyro, shawarma stolen when you have your mexican pastor tacos that are cooked on the spigot like britney's talking about shawarma taken over there so it's basically like those type of styles meat carved out put on a sandwich garlic sauce is a must on it i love shawarma me too so next thing we're going to talk about is the falafel or depending on your accent Falafel. 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 (laughs) Tomato, tomato. I love falafel. There were two things I wanted to eat for sure when we went to the Middle East, and that was baklava and falafel. Now, something you should know about falafel is it is packed, one-two punch, boom, with fiber. Because it's made from chickpeas. Mm-hmm. And garbanzo beans. Apparently, there's something called falafel farts, which <laughs> I wasn't aware of until you got them. Well, I, I cannot. She can't confirm or deny that confirm. one. But anyway, apparently, there's a rumor around in town that that's a thing. 
Well, it definitely is a thing because of all the beans in it. But let me tell you something. Well, well worth it. Because falafel is one of the most common Middle Eastern staples. We mentioned it's going to be on the table with the meza. When it is, it's just fried out there. You have it as a sampler. But when we're talking going out and getting falafel now, they're putting it in sandwiches with the tahini sauce. Tahini is a sesame sauce with lemon juice, garlic, and then you have your radishes, your mint, your tomato in it. A lot of sandwiches in the pita bread. So when Brittany said it's a staple, it really is. Everything is pretty much centered around the pita, but falafel is just absolutely amazing. This is the perfect vegetarian snack too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you go to a lot of vegan places, doesn't matter if it's Middle Eastern or not, in terms of their main cuisine, you will find falafel there for sure. And when we went on the tour, we went to a few different shops where they had glass windows in the front where they're making it. And so you have the big bowl of the mixture and then they were putting it in these little contraptions that put it out in the perfect size go into the oil, everything's cooking at once, and then they take them out. And it's like this just well-oiled machine, like think like Krispy Kreme donut factory, but for falafel on the street. And like we were talking about earlier, where we were saying Middle Easterns are so proud of their food, we actually went to a falafel shop. It was two shops next door to each other, and they were previously owned by the dad. But after the dad passed or something, the two sons took over the business. Then they had a fight over who made a better falafel batter. So they decided to split up and make their own shops, and they're right next door to each other competing against each other on whose falafel is better. Classic, dude. Yes. So our cousin Heisem took us on the falafel food tour. And it was so funny because we were already stuffed because we had lunch a little bit earlier. And then he's like, oh, okay, we won't do that much. We won't do that much. And then he orders like 50. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> a dozen here, a dozen there. And then... Oh, well, we'll get into desserts later. No, but he was really sweet because I think he knew that, Kim, you said that you wanted to try the falafel. And oh, yeah. so, like, if you mentioned that, like, you want to try something, even if you're not really thinking that you're going to do it, you know, like, they, they want to make you happy. Like, they genuinely want to do something for you. And, and it's so. not even just the act of service, but, like, it's one part doing something for someone else, but it's another part how much joy it brings them personally to do something for another person. And that's the one of the cultural aspects, too, of it, so minus sweet. the food, is they really want to show you a good time and make you happy, and it gives them pleasure to bring mm -hmm. you pleasure. I know. Yeah. Hi, Sim. We're waiting for you to come visit us here in the States, man. Yeah. <laughs> Tacos all day. <laughs> <laughs> so another one of my favorite main dishes is kofta. And kofta is like a rolled meat, whether it be beef or lamb or a combination of the both. And it, it's kind of rolled into like... A sausage shape. Yeah, a sausage shape. Or it can even be like patted down and then it's either baked or grilled. And then a lot of the times it's topped with like tomatoes on top as well and onions. And it is so good. It's kind of like a Middle Eastern hamburger patty in a sense. It's pretty much their version of that. That's the best way to describe it. But within the meat mixture, whether it be the beef or the lamb, there is tomatoes, their Middle Eastern seasoning, the parsley. So the parsley is a big must in there to give it that. Now, Brittany was right. It can be grilled. If it's grilled, it's more kind of in that sausage form. But another common way to make it, which I really, really love, is baked kofta, which they put it in a tray and then it's topped with tomato sauce and then potatoes sliced on top and then you bake it in the oven. So when you cut it out, it's almost like their version of a meatloaf, but you have your veggies, your tomato, your potatoes on top. It's so, so good. Like a layered meatloaf almost. Yeah. So one of my favorites is mjadra, which is lentils and rice with fried onions on top. And I know like maybe you're thinking, okay, lentils, but there's just something so special about the way that the, the Middle Easterners do it because of the spices that they use. And just, I don't know, you know, like I buy lentils at Costco and it's like the wet kind, whereas I think about my dad's lentils and they're dry but moist. I don't even know how to describe it, but like, it's just, it's phenomenal. And it's one of the things too, where the little things count, you know, here you'll just have regular lentils, but over there with the mjadra, you have the fried onions on top and it just makes it so, so special. Gives it that crunch, gives it that flavor, that whole new dynamic, absolutely delicious. But I'm not going to lie after talking about all the savory <laughs> food, what are we having for dessert? Mm, mm, baklava. Mm. Baklava. Absolutely. Baklava is so good. I was obsessed with it before we went to Lebanon and then even more so after. 
Christmas was like my peak of loving baklava. And yeah, it's an amazing dessert. I can't believe you've never had my dad's. I know. My dad would make trays <laughs> upon trays upon no, trays. No, I tried to mention it to him at the Christmas party, but I think he was like ignoring me or something. No, <laughs> I don't think he was ignoring you. Speaking of the Christmas party, Kim got so wasted <laughs> at the Christmas party and uh, Uncle Hanny told her to take some baklava home with her. <laughs> there was like a million trays of baklava at this party. So I was in heaven. She doesn't get a small <laughs> Ziploc bag. I asked ask, him for a bag. I didn't see what size. He gives her a gallon size Ziploc bag <laughs> and Kim stuffs it full of No, it was not full, but there was quite a few pieces. So then we take Kim home. Kim is drunk and I like walk her up to her apartment to make sure she gets home safely because I'm a good friend. And she looks at me and she goes, the baklava (laughs) she's like where is it that's like the only thing on her mind so i have to run downstairs go out to the car and grab the baklava from the back of the car bring it back up to her and she's like oh thank god (laughs) can you imagine how pissed you'd be like once like britney leaves and the door's closed and you sit on your couch and you're just like fuck where's the baklava i woke up in the, the next morning and immediately thought I need some baklava. Finders keepers. <laughs> I know. And then you couldn't have had your drunk munchy baklava or anything like that either. But so you describe know, it, Jamal. Yeah, I was going to say we're talking all about it. And <laughs> if you don't know what it is already, I'm going to describe it. But I feel bad for you because you've been missing out your entire life living under a rock. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, baklava is a very, very common Middle Eastern dessert. It's a pastry so usually they use phyllo dough which is a very very thin dough and the dessert is nut based so usually with walnuts or pistachios and the nuts are obviously ground up a little bit flavored with sugar but again it's a baked dish and melt the butter on top of the dough itself so it gives it that rich flavor roasted flavor when it's in the oven and then they have the hints of the rose water the simple syrups of just water sugar boiling it up to create a syrup coated on top so it's just a really sweet nut and pastry dish and it is absolutely amazing i will say this though some baklavas are better than the others Mm -hmm. and uh my dad's is up there so Zena, why don't you tell us about our last favorite dessert that we all experienced for the first time in Lebanon when we were out to dinner with Layla? Before Zena says it, though, I just want to say we talked about it earlier for the breakfast. Kanafi is on here for dessert, too, but we touched upon it. So hit us with it, Zena. Yes. So I've never had this before. When we were out, it was new to me and it's called Ghazal el Benet, which literally means the hair of the girl. And it was like... Beautiful. I mean, how do you even describe it? Like it came out and it was just... It's like cotton, cotton candy. candy texture, but doesn't taste like fruity, like cotton candy. It tastes like sweet and rich. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shaped like a bird's nest or like a girl's hair, I guess, done up. And then in the middle of it, there is like a sweet, rich ice cream in the middle of that. And then on top of that, it's like sprinkled with like pistachios or um, crystallized rose petals. Yeah, crystallized. And the hint of the rose water. And if you haven't caught upon it enough, when we're talking about the spices, it's not really a spice, but I'm sure you've caught on to the theme rose water is real big in the mm, middies i love rose water yes in fact it's, i was once making pistachio ice cream lebanese style and i accidentally put too much rose water in and it was like rose water pistachio <laughs> do you guys remember that batch yes yeah, a little too much <laughs> so i can got be subtle with this it. this dessert is one when it comes out you look at the waiter and you like follow it to its table because it's so beautiful. It comes out in one plate serving for like six people. It has that presentation wow yes. factor. It's, it's beautiful. Big. It's delicious. It's elegant. I loved it. And it was so unique. Mm-hmm. And it, this was right before the COVID outbreak too. So uh, we were all sharing it. <laughs> this was before COVID was even but a dream. I know, right? It was safe at that time. So uh, share with caution. But yeah, Giselle Bonnet is like, crazy that is like probably my new favorite middle eastern dessert jamal you should make that i'll try my best (laughs) i will try my best for you but only if you give me a 10 on it i'll help you all right (laughs) so you know we've talked all about foods and we just want to bring up a few drinks that are common in the middle east as well so let's talk about some of the drinks that we enjoyed while we were in lebanon and in the middle east 
So Lebanon makes their own beer, and it's the Almaza beer. I personally love it. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But like, it's good. It's the Almaza beer. Yeah, I don't think there's anything really special to say about Almaza in particular. With each country, they always have their own beer or their main line of beers, if you will, or company. Almaza is the main one for Lebanon. I just love trying beer in every country that I go to, whatever their main brand is. I love it. Like when we go to the Philippines for Brittany, it's San Miguel. You want their high end line. It's Red Horse over there. Lebanon's El Maza. When we Mexico's were Mexico's Corona, uh, yeah, <laughs> Corona. <laughs> and uh, when we were in South Africa, Africa, for example, uh, we were drinking something called Black Label. And then when we were in Zambia, we had Zambezi. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's amazing. I just love trying beer is the universal. local beer. Yes, it is. It is. And then along with beer, there was another type of alcohol. And Kim was specifically looking forward to trying this one. It's called Iraq. It's a Middle Eastern, or is it specific to Lebanon? I think they mainly make it in Lebanon, but it's around in the Middle East. It's a spirit, though. Oh, okay. Well, it tastes like black licorice, and it's very strong. But it's a clear thing, and little trick that a Lebanese guy taught me is that if you pour a little bit of cold water into it and mix it up, it glows like this pretty white glowing color. And so it's a little like drinking trick before you sip it. And it's it. I would say the Iraq is a classier version of a Jägermeister, although I'm still not a fan of Jägermeister, but I would say it's more like classy. Mm-hmm. Like it's so strong that they don't even give you like a full size shot of it. Like they have specific glasses that are half the size of a shot glass. Because it's my of how kind of shot. Yeah. 40 to 63% alcohol by volume, 80 to 126 proof. Ooh, that's Ooh. a lot. 126 Ooh. proof? Yeah. That's a lot. In fact, I remember BuzzFeed did a video of people trying a rock for the first time, and you could just like see the tiny little amount that they get, it's and it so just like funny. hits them. I yeah. have a bar in my home, so whenever I have people over, whatever alcohol I have there, we'll drink and. <laughs> but I've had the Iraq since the beginning of the year, and that is the one alcohol people will not drink. <laughs> they don't touch it, or or they'll open it and smell it, or maybe take a little shot, and then they won't drink it. Because it, rem- it reminds them of high school, because it smells like Jägermeister. <laughs> so, Kim, how do you say cheers in Arabic? Do you know? For a group of us four, Zahatkon. Wonderful. I know you love to say cheers in all the different languages. So I'm actually looking at our show notes and I've noticed that two very popular drinks are not listed. And one is Arabic coffee. And I don't even know how we passed this up on the show notes. Oh, wow. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Arabic coffee. It's like Turkish coffee. And it comes out in tiny little glasses because it's so thick. And usually, you know, there's like a coffee dance. So you go to someone's house and it is customary. You have to ask someone if they want coffee. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course you want coffee. It's dynamite. So at any hour you want coffee. It doesn't matter. And the correct answer is, no. And then they ask again and then you say yes. So it's kind of like a little coffee dance. And it's so thick. I think someone has a story about drinking the grinds. I'll let you say that. Brittany has it. But when you get to the bottom and you get to the grinds, you can also... Grounds. Sorry. When you get to the bottom and you get to the grounds, you can also use the grounds to tell someone's fortune. So they say. So they say. So the first time I had Arabic coffee, it was at the Marouche household in Woodland, California. And Jamal's mom prepared some Arabic coffee and Jamal didn't warn me. He gave me no warning. So it's in a tiny little cup, like smaller than a little teacup. It's smaller than that. I would say it's almost like an espresso cup. Yeah. Yeah. It's small. And instead of like being cooked espresso style where it comes out of machine and you actually boil the grounds with the water in a little contraption and so the grounds settle to the bottom of it. When you pour it, some grounds still get into the cup. So, you know, it's a drink meant to be sipped. It's not something like you take a shot of or anything. So you just kind of sip on it. So I'm sipping on it, sipping on it. And then there's a the last little bit in the end of my glass and I just go for it and I down it. <laughs> Jamal didn't tell me that there was grounds at the bottom. So I ended up with a mouthful of grounds and I'm like, uh. Well, I've been drinking it my whole life. And to me, it's commonplace to know that there's grounds at the bottom of your Arabic coffee cup or Turkish coffee, whatever you want to call it. And I just didn't think anything of it because to me, 
I guess I'm a little uh, biased in that sense. <laughs> it's common knowledge, at least so I thought. And so I didn't think the need to warn Brittany. But every time we have Arabic coffee, Brittany never forgets to remind me of this story. And now she has <laughs> shared it with you guys as well. And one <laughs> other drink that we didn't put on the show notes was the white coffee, Ooh. which oh, yeah. I learned about in Lebanon. And I don't typically drink regular coffee, so I did pass most of the time. But when we were out at restaurants, I did want to have like an after meal drink because that's very common. And so I was looking for something decaf and they have something called white coffee, which is not coffee at all, but it's like warm water with rose rose water water placed into it. And it's just really refreshing and really nice and light. And I loved it. Delicious. There we go with our rose water again. Yeah. (laughs) Love rose water. So, and then finally, to round it off, in the home, you always have fruit, you always have coffee, you always have tea, and you always have chocolate. That's like so different from American culture. When American culture, someone comes in your house, you usually offer them like a glass of water. I think that's pretty common. But Because we're simple people. (laughs) In the Middle East, it is much bigger than that. There's platters of fruit. There's immediately boxes of chocolate like you get on Valentine's Day that they're Mm -hmm. bringing to you asking if you'd like one. Of course, the coffee, of course, the tea. I mean, sometimes there's a lot more, but that's like the minimum that's usually there. I just think a lot about Middle Eastern culture and the food. It just really kind of all revolves around it. When you host people, you're having them over to enjoy a meal with them. And that's something that's so different than our culture is, again, the meal is to be enjoyed with people and shared. So it's something that they want to do. And that's why when you go into somebody's home, you will always be offered the tea, the coffee, have fruit out. And it's just a whole cultural experience. It's a good time. And then I think I mentioned this for breakfast, how it's just communal and kind of slower. And that's really how all of the meals were. There weren't really many or any rushed meals that we had. Everything was a sit down. It was an experience. There was for hours, multiple people, longer spans of time and just slower. Uh, You know what else we didn't mention is they always have nuts out too. Oh, yeah. Lots of nuts. All those nuts. All the nuts. Oh, sausages. (laughs) In fact, when I, I remember when I first started living there in my early 20s, like nuts actually, I don't know why, but like I would, I'm not allergic to nuts at all, but I used to get sick. at least once a month off of nuts. So I actually don't eat that much nuts, especially like when we went over there. But uh, interesting enough for my stomach. And that brings me into our question of the week. Ooh, Ooh. this is Kim's favorite time. Uh Uh-oh. Question. 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 Of the week. That was so good, guys. That was a good one. (laughs) That was a good one. Okay, so our question is from Barry from Washington, D.C., and he says, what should you do if food doesn't agree with your stomach while traveling? And Barry from D.C., I feel you, brother. (laughs) It's happened. (laughs) It has happened to the best of us. I have lived to tell the story. So what did you do to combat the food poisoning? So when I got food poisoning... It was in the middle of the Andes Mountains at one in the morning. and Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, with no actual toilets around, but it was fine. You know, it's kind of gross, but you just have to get it out of you. And also, we always say this, but always, always, always have Cipro with you when you travel. And not just Cipro. We want like Pepto-Bismol. Imodium. Imodium. Yeah all of the good things to have with you while you're traveling. And that will literally save your life. And we've had episodes and talked about this before in the past in terms of being prepared when you travel. And what better way to bring it back up than talking about food too? Because you always want to try those goodies in other countries. Sometimes it's not the food itself, but just in general, when you go to other countries, different bacterias out there, whether they be good or bad, can upset you. So always be prepared. Have that antibiotic potentially. Tell your doctor you're traveling. Have them prescribe you one. Have those Tums. Pepto, it's going to make it as comfortable as possible should something happen. And I do want to say, don't forget the Imodium. <laughs> do not. I mean, what? I mean, you could take those antibiotics and those Tums, but it's not going to stop it. You need the Imodium. No, I love it because I wasn't expecting you to say that. But like, that's perfect advice. Absolutely. I'm sure we've all used Imodium at one point or another on the road. So, <laughs> Any final thoughts before we close out this episode? Well, I am starving for some falafel and fatouche and baklava right now. And that's all I have to say. 
Hmm. <laughs> well, Jamal and I's last name Marouche doesn't really have anything that rhymes with it except for Fatouche. Marouche Fatouche. Marouche Fatouche. <laughs> I think our cousin Waleed even said he used to get made fun of and they called him Marouche Fatouche, didn't they? I didn't used to have say, a friend who used to call me Marouche Fatouche. Yeah, but the final thought that I do have it doesn't necessarily sit around the Middle Eastern food itself other than it's absolutely delicious. But again, we're bringing you this episode because of the joy of having food when you travel. It really is a different experience. There's no better way to get you to understand and acclimated to a culture than through its food. And it's such a big part of traveling. And it's one of my favorite things to do. So don't ever be afraid to eat any of the food when you travel. Live a little. You're going to enjoy it. And if anyone asks you what you think about the food, the answer is a 10. Yes. Mm -hmm. Go for the kid be nay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. Please keep the adventures going with us. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Just search Travel Squad Podcast. And please send us in my favorite questions of the week. And if you found the information in this episode to be useful, or if you thought we were just plain funny, please make sure to share it with a friend that will enjoy it too. And as always, guys, please, please, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast and tune in every Travel Tuesday for these new episodes. Make sure to pack your bags and grab your swimsuit because next week we were taking you with us to the big island of Hawaii. Big island. Ooh. Aloha. Aloha, friends. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.